September 2017, Instagram announced that it had reached 800 million monthly active users and 500 million daily active users around the world. The social media app is projected to reach its 1 billion users milestone in early 2018. Out of all of these users, Selena Gomez has the most followers, 129 million. Out of all the many daily posts, Beyonce's pregnancy announcement holds the record for the most likes, 11 million. But if you're not a celebrity, it seems hardly possible anymore to rack up even just tens of thousands of followers. My name's Edward, and I work for Cartoon Network in Hong Kong uh, for Asia Pacific office. And in my spare time, well, increasingly more than my spare time, I take photos, I travel, and I do commercial photography, and I do it a lot for fun uh, in Hong Kong and around Asia. Edward Barnier is a photographer currently based in Hong Kong who's originally from the UK. And he's been using Instagram since 2013. He has a verified account with 205,000 followers. He really didn't know what to expect when he first started using the app. And he really did not expect it to be a route towards becoming a well-known photographer. Before I moved here, I always thought I could, um, I could sell some prints. That was a very traditional way of looking at it. Like that's what a photographer does. They have exhibitions and they sell prints. If you take, just take when I moved here 2012, in terms of entrepreneurial spirit, I think social media has made so many people aware of what they're capable of themselves, so, you know, with self-publishing and with, um, with it being so easy, like Squarespace and stuff like that, to just do everything yourself on a very low budget. But I never really thought that that was a thing that was possible beyond selling a few prints. Make an editor-in-chief, Eugene Can, and I, Sharice Poon, sat down with Edward to talk about his photography process and how social media has changed his personal life. We live in this era where parents can send their kids to a social star creator camp to be coached on becoming a social media hit and where it's possible for people to have real aspirations to build up enough of an online presence in order for hotels to fly them to resorts and on holiday in order to post about it. Edward wound up by accident and not by design into that life. This is this is going to sound a bit like pretentious, but I never it's almost like the lifestyle happened at the same time. I'm not to say I created a lifestyle, but there wasn't something I was looking to become. There was no lifestyle. Marketing dollars started like coming into social media around 2014, 2015. And I never saw, I, I see more now people, influencers on huge jobs or doing really cool stuff. But I never saw that two years ago and thought, I want that. I guess there are people looking at me doing that now, but I never, there was never a stage where I thought, oh, I hope I can do, you know, I hope I can do those travel gigs and those hotel gigs um, soon when I've got enough followers. It just kind of, happened with me and at the speed I was going. Traditional advertising in the form of billboards and print ads, while it definitely still exists, has seen those budgets shrink to be allocated to Instagram and Facebook ads 
and digital advertising everywhere. Because of this shift in resource allocation at brands and agencies, Edwards' casual photography peers saw opportunities to leave their full-time office jobs in order to freelance instead. People were doing really well at it. And I, and I could say that some a lot of the time I looked at the people that were doing that and thinking, they're better than me, so I don't think it's, still don't think it's a thing I could do. Edwards' humility is clear. His decision to keep photography and social media on the sidelines of his life, as opposed to being his nine to five, affords him a luxury that his full-time photography peers don't enjoy. He's free to turn down the jobs he doesn't like. In our conversation, he quoted fashion photographer for the New York Times, Bill Cunningham. Cunningham, who passed away in 2016, was known for his candid street photography. On working for other people, he said, money's the cheapest thing. Liberty and freedom are the most expensive. And his advice was, child, take nothing from them, not even a cup of water. If you take something, you owe them something. There's a magical moment when you're with commercial photography on Instagram where you can sometimes be paid for the photo that you love doing anyway. But 50% of the time, you do have to have some sort of compromise. So it's a case of how many photos do I do that I love versus how many that I don't love, but I'm going to get paid for. I'm... I'm very lucky in that I have a full-time job in animation. So that dictates a lot of what I do. There, there are a lot of times where I can't do the job. And I, I would say that that is actually the big decider. You know, I'm kind of time, time. So yeah, so if it's something I really love, I will find the time. Edward uses the parameters of a brief to think creatively about how to best sell a brand in a way that represents the company accurately and would also be appealing to his audience. Sometimes he gets approached by companies that are not immediately obviously a good fit with the kind of photography Edward shoots. There's this one job he did that took a bit of back and forth and it was for this Canadian parking lot company. I was really not very keen to do it because I was just like, I don't, I don't shoot parking lots. But um, I managed to make it work after much back and forth on email um, and, and I did it. Um, but if that had been, if, they, if we'd stuck to the original brief, I would have said no. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. There's actually a really cool parking lot in Jordan um, and able, I was able to convince the client that I shoot from that parking lot rather than the parking lot. And that, and from that parking lot is one of the iconic Hong Kong views straight down Temple Street. It's rare to get a client who is fully on board with what you love to shoot. And even more rare is landing a job where the client's excited, you're keen, and you know your audience is going to appreciate it as well. If you're really keyed into your audience, they actually care about the product you're selling. They might actually have an interest in the thing that you're promoting. There will be times, um, there will definitely be products that um, you will need a really good picture to convince someone to even read the caption. Beyond that, I would say, not my circle, but a lifestyle blogger, lifestyle bloggers have really convinced me in one way that people follow 
Um, they also they want to be advertised. They want to be told what things to wear and what brands to use, what products to use. Edward and his friends, when they first started using Instagram and found themselves quickly gaining followers, they used to joke, being famous in Instagram is like being rich in Monopoly. Edward reflected on how the truth of this statement has faded. The shift has come in the last two years that what's the point in these likes is money and free travel and holidays and a lifestyle that is extremely aspirational for a younger generation. So with that in mind, it is okay to say, give me these likes because then you'll see me in the Maldives, you know, give me. <laughs> and people are cool with that. They want to they be successful. They also want you, that person they follow to be successful as well. current generation of users who are joining Instagram, looking to make it big, are focused on hustling, not just for more followers, but for more loyalty and engagement. This trend echoes the same thing that we see happening in how digital publications view their readers. Clicks are not worth as much as they used to be. Everyone is starting to see the value in having fan bases that are small in size but have outsized loyalty. A really popular word in marketing used so much as to be losing its meaning is community. But community is useful to describe what Edward finds true nowadays. Having a small, familiar, and loyal group of true fans can be of way more value than having hundreds of thousands of followers that feel like strangers. The best brands now are looking way more at engagement ratios rather than actual followers. And there are people out there and these people hustle so hard in terms of um, pitching to companies and doing stuff for free with a hope that there'll be like a long-term relationship attached to that or that the brand will blow them up on their feed. Despite all the paid content filling up the app, no Instagram personality can get away with having a feed filled entirely of sponsored content. Edward looks to achieve balance in the kinds of photos he shares in order to keep himself, his audience, and his clients satisfied. He looks at his work in three different ways, a kind of looking at things that came from observations he made at his full-time job at Cartoon Network. So I reference my um, full-time job, which is in TV. So at Cartoon Network, we have three types of um, show, TV show. We, we, I mean, actually, this is my personal, more personal than actually a brand thing for Cartoon Network. But I look at shows that um, can get ratings. And then I look at shows that can win awards. And then there are shows that can bring you um, revenue. So there's like ratings, awards, and instant revenue. The holy grail is to make something that ticks all three boxes. But that's not usually possible. To make clear what kind of work falls into what slot, shows that get ratings on Cartoon Network are Adventure Time, Gumball, and Regular Show. Adventure Time is a widely known and watched animation featuring the adventures of Jake and Finn. An example of a show that wins awards is Over the Garden Wall, 
an animated television miniseries created by Patrick McHale. It broadcast in November 2014, received wide critical acclaim, and won two Emmys. That's the thing that makes animators want to go and work for that channel or brands want to go and advertise on that channel because they're like, well, these guys are serious about animation. They win awards. And then lastly, there are the big money makers. So you have the ratings, you have the awards, and then revenue shows are just like uh, Lego Ninjago or like Hasbro Transformers. So Hasbro or Lego will pay either pay you or spend a bunch of money on advertising um, with you. This same way of looking at animations produced by Cartoon Network can be applied to a photographer's portfolio of work. Or if you think about it, to any creative person's body of work. So you can go out and get shots like I just showed you earlier. Um, this sunrise this morning was crazy. There was these sun rays coming through the clouds and um, it was beautiful to look at. And I know when I post that shot, that will do really well, okay? Which will bring me followers and likes and engagement, general engagement. And then you have more thoughtful shots, which right now I'm trying to do a lot more street photography. Like I said, it can be thought-provoking. It can be showing off a little my photography capabilities, like low light, um, you know, depth of field on someone who's not posing for you, that kind of thing. Um, and then that shows off your skills. So those are the award-winning photos in theory, award, not award-winning, but you know, things that show off your craft. And then obviously the revenue ones are the things you're getting paid to do. Getting paid to post photos wasn't normal before. There was a time when the culture of Instagram was different from what we're used to seeing today. Things such as the choices people made using their phone or their camera, using one hashtag or 20, using a filter or not. All these things have shifted a couple of times since Instagram first launched in late 2010. Edward broke down for us the history of Instagram users as he sees it. He describes three separate generations between the start of the app and now, and the kinds of user behavior that differentiate those three phases. Yeah, so I would say that um, at the inception of Instagram, the first generation of big Instagram photographers were generally people known to in maybe in the US first and foremost, probably big on another platform, Twitter or Flickr, maybe photographers already throughout the world, enough to convince these guys to, to blow up this app. And what they did, Instagram, is they had at the time a suggested user list and they put these people on rotation. So these people were picking up a, a serious amount of followers every other week. They, they probably used one hashtag at most. And those people, I would say, were iPhone only, um, using the filters of Instagram. Everything was done in-app. Back then, hashtags still required explanation. And Instagram itself did the heavy lifting of boosting individual users. According to Edward, Generation 2 begins in 2014, when Instagram began to pick up serious steam and popularity and that phase lasts until mid-2016. He puts himself as part of this era. Maybe seeing the first New York guys using DSLRs and just thinking, hey, they're cheating. <laughs> you know, that was, that was my initial thought. Like, that's not allowed. 
such a crazy thing to think now. So they were the first, I would say, maybe there was someone before them, but that was the first I saw of it. Um, and so, so leading on to that, I would say the second generation started by using cameras, um, using more hashtags, because obviously you didn't have that weekly suggested user list boost. All of these activities designed to bring in more followers. The current generation, this third phase of Instagram users comes in conjunction with significant product updates Instagram has made in the last year and a half. The third generation revolves around the changing to an algorithmic feed, the launch of stories, and, and live. And the third generation of Instagram is much more aligned with a YouTuber. So if you, if you follow anyone on YouTube, any kind of bloggers, they're very much in your face with the, hey guys, click the link down below, subscribe, press the, click the red button down there. They follow me on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. All, all um, behavior that has from inception until 2016, pretty much frowned upon on Instagram. The algorithmic feed has shaped how users promote themselves and has also affected how viewers use the app to look at photos. Eugene has been reflecting on his personal Instagram usage and how much personal information he's been giving away to the company. What is the, the actual value mm. to, you know, liking something? Part of me was wondering too is that, and this might be me just going way too deep, but yeah. I know that if I like something, mm -hmm. then I'm feeding into an algorithm and I will only ever start seeing things like that. Like yeah. if I like all these sneakers, then yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to see just sneakers. Right. Right. I don't want to help provide you that data. I just want to see interesting, mind-opening things. That sounds so bad, but like, yeah. I'm kind of interested in that stuff. If you don't double tap the things you like, are you happy with the explore page that they give you? Are, are you seeing a are you seeing like a a, a a myriad of things that interest you, or is it just seem like it's somebody's? This is actually a really else? interesting question because you look at the way you've been targeted. So when I'm on um, my Instagram stories, man, you know someone's got it all wrong because you're you're providing me ads for like the goat app which is like a sneaker mm -hmm. app right i'm like i'm not like i like sneakers but i'm not that big into it so you're kind yeah. of wasting your ad dollars on on me currently but for some reason you believe that this is going to appeal to me mm -hmm. so i actually don't really go into the explore page because at the end of the day i just feel like it's everything that they think i should like and right. i don't i don't want to be boxed into something like right as long as you're not paying for them those ads will be there if you're not giving them enough information, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but the ads will be stuff you're not interested mm -hmm. in. And it, it's almost in your interest. And this is a really sad way to look at things, but it's almost in your interest to at least have adverts that appeal to you. That's a good way of um, yeah. But um, I hear what you're saying. You don't yeah. want to give them all your data and all your information. Product changes to Instagram can go so far as to affect the mental health of photographers, for better or for worse. I speak to people who are still kind of, uh, yeah, still kind of upset, like, oh, that photo didn't do well, so I'm not going to do any more of that. And I just think that's, a, the more people that know that it's not them, the better for art, because if people are chasing this engagement and thinking that 
and making their decisions based on what they think people like, when really it's like a machine in Menlo Park that's making these decisions for them, that's really messed up, right? You'll, you'll let, they'll end up making one or two types of photo and then it feeds into the algorithm that thinks that everyone likes this photo and it just becomes a cycle of, of um, a, like creativity shrinks and this person just takes the same photos, similar style over and over thinking, yeah, people like this. Not every photographer, lifestyle blogger, and casual user on Instagram tries to figure out how the algorithm works in order to gain peace of mind. Another thing that's different about Edward is he has this personal mission to keep things fresh and educate his followers, even if what he's putting them onto is only slightly challenging. Edward has this desire to not settle into a routine that can guarantee success. And that desire, while potentially rewarding, also comes with a burden of self-doubt. He wants to be able to show his followers new things to push their boundaries on what they will accept, but sometimes those attempts aren't gonna work out. I don't know yet. I don't know if I'm there yet. Or even if I have that creativity level, because I'm seeing, and that's the downside to the Explore page, you are spending the little time you have on social media looking at very similar things to the things you're doing, which makes it so much harder to be original. Uh, it's incredibly hard for me. Maybe I never was that original in the first place, but I'm finding it incredibly hard to think outside the box when I look at, if you just take a, take a step back and think about how many photo, photographs you look at a day compared to like six or seven years ago, you're talking like just on in this square rectangle in your hands, you're looking at a thousand plus photos a day. And how many of them are different? Um, and, but how many of them are the same, but have seeped into your consciousness as the thing to do? We asked Edward how much of his success he perceives as coming from his abilities or coming from luck. I have the abilities. Whether I would call that actual talent is up for debate or whether it's a learned skill through looking at a thousand plus photos every day for four or five years, that is definitely up for debate. The ability is... Def you definitely need ability to get started. You can have all the luck in the world, but if you're not creating good photos, then no one's gonna really look at them. But you do need luck in the sense that I can, I can say I have been promoted by Instagram a number of times. And I, I would say, I don't know if it falls into the category of luck, but I would say right place, right time. The fundamental design of Instagram favors shallowness over depth and glosses over any difficulties. The reality of a creator's thought process and hard work isn't always evident. I think there was an extreme moment in the middle of 2016 where I massively doubted my abilities and I felt like I was falling, to give it some sort of context, I felt like I was falling and I couldn't pull myself back up to the level that I could see only six months earlier. So I What do you think caused that? Um, oh, wow, I've never been asked that. Because generally, whenever I said it to anyone, they were like, no, you're fine, you're doing great. Yeah. No, no one like took me at face value and yeah. said, you're doing worse. But yeah, I think what could have caused that? It could have been um, 
okay, I, I think there was something there in changing my, trying to force a change of style on myself um, that wasn't happening. And, and then after I decided this change of style wasn't happening, I couldn't even pull back to what I was doing before. Um, was it that this new style wasn't working and that's what it, it wasn't it, no when I say when I say wasn't working actually and I'll tell anyone this it was performing really in terms of engagement on social media it was doing great um, but in terms of what I looked at maybe three days after I took a photo or I posted a photo I wasn't happy with it um, and then I wasn't happy with I, I'm, I'm, I was a very big believer in all of my photos having a somewhat similar aesthetic that I can understand even if others can't see it but I would look back at the photos maybe two weeks later like a, a two three week period worth of photos and they, there was no relation to any of them they weren't making sense and so I just kind of had to reevaluate, and that took it took a while it took a while before I was happy with my photos again Barnier is a photographer who's more thoughtful and more concerned about the effect of social media on human psyches than what his Instagram feed might suggest. Follow him at Edward KB and take the time to comment on his photos, ask him questions. For me, speaking to him about being a photographer who happened to make it big was illuminating in ways I didn't expect. The things that might look effortless to me, what seems a kind of perfected routine, has behind it humility and intention. 